0: This week, the Down and Nerdy Podcast is brought to you by Claritin D. And shout out to the folks at Claritin who not just sponsored the show, but also provided some samples as well. Tis the season to breathe pollen. Yeah, I've been spending a lot more time outside. Yeah, I can tell those allergies are definitely acting up. I feel stuffy. I feel sluggish. The eyes are starting to water a little bit more. That's why I'm turning to Claritin-D. Look, it's definitely helped me relieve my symptoms. It seems to work really, really fast for me as well. It's designed for serious allergy sufferers. Claritin-D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongestion in your your nose so you can breathe better. And hey, I'm noticing a lot of that right now. As a matter of fact, I'm looking forward to be able to enjoy much more outdoor time this spring and summer. A lot of that has to do with Claritin-D. Fast and Powerful Relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin-D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin-D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed.
1: Banning the Nerdosphere, talking about everything you want to hear, from comics to cosplay, from the cinematic universe to fan films, and everything in between, it's time to get down and nerdy. Here are your hosts, James Witham and Nick Pataglia.
0: Here we are in a devilish 109th episode of the Down and Nerdy Podcast, where I'm going to say, Nick, if history and comics have taught us one thing, it's that civil wars, not so civil.
2: No, not really. You know, it's it's uh, a lot of war and not so civilized, and you end up having people turning on each other who were once friends. And by the way, at the end of the show, I'm probably going to punch you in the face. Yeah, that's, that's quite all right. Because, you okay. know.
0: This is just not a civilized world anymore. It's not like, you know, you go ahead and shoot. Oh, thank you. And when I'm done, you go ahead and shoot as well. Oh, thanks. That's what a civil war would kind of look like. Kind of boring. I'm James Witham alongside...
2: The Murder with One Arm, Nick Pataglian, and James. Well, this week, we're going to hell this week, I should say.
0: Yeah, we've been there before. Why not go back there again? But this time, we are seriously going to hell because we're going to be talking to Lucifer himself... Tom Ellis about the finale coming up this coming Monday at 9 o'clock on Fox. But, oh, Nick, that's not all.
2: Oh, no, Amenadiel is going to be joining us. That's right, D.B. Woodside is also going to be our guest this week as well. Talk about the season finale, Lucifer, which, of course, airs next Monday. And, dude, this is pretty awesome. We got both the brothers in this week. Brother versus brother, brother with brother, whatever
0: you want to call it. It's going to be great, brother. That's exactly what it's going to be. Just like the Lucifer finale, because if you watch the penultimate episode, Man, there was a lot of stuff that went down there, so I can't wait to talk to these guys about what's coming up.
2: Oh, exactly, and that's the thing is that, you know, everything that happened in this past week's episode, with the whole fight, that that, that fight that they had in the penthouse, and I mean, it's going to be great just to talk to both of them about it, and again, it's something that we've been looking forward to a long time, and you know... This has just been a great season for Lucifer. And what's cool is we've had Joe Henderson, the showrunner on. We've had Leslie and Brandt, who, of course, plays Maze. Now we got the brothers coming on. And, again, I'm just so excited to have him on because... You know, as always, you're both going to very charismatic, especially Tom.
0: Oh, absolutely. And I mean, just this coming off of last week, where we got to talk to Chris Vance, who played Non on Supergirl, and they just had their finale. We're going to be actually reviewing the finale coming up on this week in Geek Tam. It's going to be spoiler-filled, so just keep that in mind. If it's still sitting on your DVR, which it shouldn't be, by the way, but if it is still sitting on your DVR, make sure you watch that before you listen to our review. And then we're going to give you our rating, our overall rating of the first season of Supergirl, what we thought of it as as a whole, after we give our review. Yeah.
2: Exactly. That's going to do it for us in our intro, but come up next. Oh, it's what we're reading. We have two new comics this week. Which ones do we read? Find out and stay tuned here on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Chris Vance from Supergirl on CBS, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, folks, it's time when we get our long boxes and brush up on our Russian, because this time as always, it's time for what we're reading is always brought to you by the fine folks over at Fantasy Escape, comps and cards, go see Bob and all the great things he has for your nerd heart and a nerds that you love. And don't forget, May 7th, we're going to be streaming live on Facebook on free comic book day from Fantasy Escape. So be sure to tune in to our live show that we're going to be streaming on Facebook May 7th again from Fantasy Escape. So James, I mentioned Russian that we had a brush up on it. We did a comic about the Cold War, so tell us about it.
0: Yeah, I went ahead and did Divinity 2, number one from Valiant. And I got to tell you, if you read Divinity before, which is a very cool story, but if you haven't, let me give you a little bit of a recap. Basically, it's the Cold War era and the Soviet Union versus the United States. Of course, you remember the space race, so this is very much somewhat true to history anyway. But the Russians actually had a very dangerous mission that they decided to send three cosmonauts on, and it was to a place called the Unknown. Now, of course, if you read Divinity, the first, the first arc they had of it, uh, Abram Adams was actually one of the cosmonauts that actually was the first one to come back, and he ended up having powers, and I won't go into the whole Divinity uh, number one arc, so we're going to jump right into the second one, which was written by Matt Kent. Penciler as Trevor Harrison, anchor as Ryan Wynn, and colors as David Barron, Baron, along with letterer Dave So the reason that this is actually a good jumping-on point for new readers is because this actually follows one of the other cosmonauts that was still stuck on the unknown named Valentina. And what's interesting about this is that it kind of reads like an Arrow episode, and the reason I say that is we go from present time to flashback kind of intermittently, but it's actually done really well because it gives you her backstory, and you find out exactly how she got to where she is and how she ended up on this mission in the first place and what her actually actual purpose on the mission was. And kind of an underlying story here, which I thought was interesting before we get into what actually goes on in the, in the issue is that it's almost like you have to earn. There's an underlying message of you have to earn your place. You have to earn where you get like nothing's handed to you. Even if you end up in a wealthy family or something like that, you still have to earn what you get. So I thought that that was a very interesting underlying message in this issue.
2: Right. And I think what's cool is, you know, going back to the flashbacks, I'm glad that they it sounds as if they weren't forced. You know what I'm saying? Like, for example, we talk about it all the time when we watch Arrow or whatever. And out of nowhere a flashback happens and it takes you out of it. So I'm glad to hear that it, the flashbacks in this comic from Valiant don't take you out of it.
0: Right. And this isn't really a spoiler. I can I can probably tell you this she basically goes from being pulled off the street to being a cosmonaut and the Russian space race. I mean, it's pretty interesting. But this planet that they send them to, it's like the far, far reaches of the galaxy. It's further than any person has ever gone. And she's essentially the first woman in space, if you think about it. Because this is a secret mission that nobody knew about, so they're saying that the Russians got to space first before the Americans to go to this planet called the Unknown. But nobody knows... Of course, until one of them ends up coming back. But it's still kind of very hush-hush. Now, as they're bouncing back and forth between worlds, she's kind of dealing with a crisis that's happening on the unknown planet right now. And remember, this Abram guy bails on them. That is one thing I can tell you. He bails to go back, and that's how he ends up becoming the divinity the first time around. Now, we're still talking about socialist Russia, And communism and stuff like that. So this is still a very real thing. Now, when Abram got back, I can tell you this about the first arc. He was more of a, I've turned the other cheek. She is comrade through and through. She bleeds Mother Russia. So this is a little bit different. So she's also saying, okay, I need to try and find a way to get back. So as you're bouncing forth, back and through the flashbacks, finding out why she's there... And what she's supposed to be doing. And how she rose up through the ranks a little bit. And kind of also how she gets the mindset that she gets once you get to present day. She's really dealing with the other cosmonaut that's still stranded there. And he's going off mission. I won't say why or how. But he's going off mission a little bit. So basically she has to deal with him. And something happens at the end of this comic. I want to jump forward a little bit. Because I don't want to give away too much. Because it's really interesting what happens actually. We see a face... At the end of this book, that is not only a real life figure in Russia, but makes this story very interesting in the present day.
2: Ivan Drago.
0: If only. <laughs> Although, you know, I kind of get the Drago vibe off of her from the, from the, uh, <laughs> from the actual art in this book. She's got that whole Dra- Drago kind of persona. It almost looks like <laughs> she's tough, man. I mean, that's one thing I loved about this book. She is, Tough, there is no doubt about that from her from her upbringing, and they kind of hint that something might have happened to her with the people that raised her when she was a child too. But they didn't really get totally into that, and they didn't really reveal it all that much. I got to tell you, man, it was really interesting. And something happens to her when she's trying to travel back that just rips her to shreds mentally, and really motivates her. So it's it's going to be very interesting. The art is fantastic. In this book, I was really looking for for another valiant book that would really hit the ball out of the park. Right after a book of death, I think this one does. It's very, very interesting. And now we're going to get to see the interaction between her and the other cosmonaut that's already come home. I'm sure that's going to be coming in the later issues. Gotta tell you, I was I'm a little surprised. This is a pull for me.
2: In communist Russia, you don't pull comics. Comics pull you.
0: (laughs) I, comrade.
2: <laughs> well, that's nah, great. it's cool. <laughs> well, that's great to hear that, you know, Valiant hit another book out of the park. Well, for me, James, I haven't done DC on the show in a while, I believe, since my I think the last thing I did was that Superman comic they came out with that wasn't that great. Yeah, the
0: Superman, yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. So I decided you know what? Let's do some Batman. I decide, you know, hey, Batman Robin Eternal is of course a continuation from Batman Eternal and it did wrap up with issue 26, which is kind of shocking, but then you think about it, well, Rebirth, and we talked you know, with Jackson Lansing weeks ago, and he said how we had to kind of cut some things, and we didn't really know why, but mm-hmm. now we know. Mm-hmm. And you think about it, 26 issues is kind of a weird place to end a series. That is
0: odd. I mean, I know it's half of 52 but at the same time, it's like, yeah, end of the arc, issue 26, and you're like, what? I mean, at least uh, Superior Spider-Man, when that ended, I think that was a weird number two. I think they ended up in issue 31.
2: Right, so, yeah. So yeah,
0: very interesting that they're doing so, that. So of
2: course, James the fourth and Scott Snyder did the story, and- when it comes to pencils and inks and colors, let's just say that the entire DC roster was used on this damn thing.
0: Yeah, yeah. so you might want to you know, go to the website or something, Yeah, the podcast. <laughs> com. yeah There's I mean, going to be a list.
2: It's a literal verbal marathon, if I had to say all these names. But anyways, issue 26 against the finale. Uh, Cassandra Kane has pretty much been captured by Mother, and Bluebird is being you know kind of twisted by Mother in a sense of, hey, Cassandra, spoiler alert, killed your parents. And so now you can exact revenge on her and kill her. She's all chained up and everything. And so it's really, I mean, if there's one thing that these last, this whole series does, especially these last three to four issues, is build up tension. I was on issue 22 on Friday. I left off on issue 21, of course. I was behind. I read from 22 all the way to 26 in one night. And the tension just amps up every single turn, and of course you have this whole thing with these projects that, that this whole cell with these mothers, children going on around the world. So what happens? All of the Robins are are coming into play and they're defending. You have you know nice. of course Tim Drake and you know Red Hood and you know the Robin from We Are Robin. Everybody's coming together, and you have of course Midnighter coming in there trying to stop this thing. And one thing I loved about the writing of, of course, Tynan, and, and Sk- who did the script for it, and, of course, Scott Snyder helped him with the story. What th- I loved is it, this issue, 26, really in a great way, I'm not going to tell you how, but in a great way, breaks down how every Robin is different, and how it wasn't Batman that molded the Robins, it was the Robins themselves that molded the paths that they took.
0: Interesting.
2: And it's really cool. Like, and it just shows how each Robin is different in each and different way. And it's really, really great job. And of course there's a character that we think is gone, but makes an appearance. And I'll say this, the only thing about this book that was kind of a negative was, um, the end climax, you could kind of see at least, you know, if you've read enough comics or seen a lot of movies, you can kind of see how this whole climax was going to end when it comes to Mother and just the team itself. But the writing is great. The art is just freaking spectacular. I mean, I wanted to say this. I've never seen a better collection of masks in any comic than in Batman and Robin Eternal.
0: Wow, so even though it kind of took the entire DC roster to put this book together, there wasn't any sort of when you were turning the pages like, oh, well, this one's clearly different than this oh, one. Or anything oh, like that.
2: it is all... All of it coincides with one another. It all matches. That's impressive. And it's again, it just shows the talent that DC has over there, where they have you know artists and 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 writers, everybody who can take different pages and just make them the same and feel the same and not feel out of place. And it's really, really great. It's really, really spectacular. Again, outside of the you know, you can kind of foresee uh, if, you're, if you're good at pick up foreshadowing how. The ending was going to kind of play out in terms of the end climax, but really, though, one thing that this book and especially the series has done really well is express the, the idea and the concept of family. Mm-hmm. Where you have, for example, Bluebird's brother who pretty much takes the reins of the computer over at Midnighters, and by goddamn you know, finds his place in the world. Ah, he, he
0: steps up. Nice. Yeah.
2: And that's why I love. That's what I, I love about this book too, is that every character from the top down, somehow, some way evolved from the first issue. They became more. Cassandra was, you know, silent assassin, but now at, when you get to, in the beginning, and then when you get to the, the ending, she, you realize this is a broken child. And it's just an amazing job by tying in the fourth and Scott Snyder. Just an amazing job. This whole series is a definite pull for me.
0: You got to give DC a lot of credit, too, for creating a new character like Bluebird, albeit with similar themes to Robin characters in the past. We always complain about, hey, you want to do something? Make a new character. Start from scratch. And I realized that Bluebird might be a little bit of a wink and a nod to a female Nightwing, but they created this character. She's been a very important character and a very intriguing character throughout all the runs that she's been in so far, starting with Batman Eternal earlier on. So I got to give them kudos for that, too, because I'm, I'm a big fan of hers now.
2: And one thing I want to say, too, is that I love about this book and this series, especially with issue 24 to 26, they make every character they show in this book not feel like they're just jammed in there to have in there. Like spoiler has a purpose and all the Robins and Midnighter has a purpose. And everybody has a purpose. They even bring in somebody from Batman's, if you kind of want to say rogues gallery into this, and then they have a purpose. Everybody they've introduced in this series has a purpose. This isn't just here because, Oh, this is a Batman book. Let's just throw them in here. No, they made sure they made damn sure Tynan and Snyder did, especially Tynan who did the script that everybody in this book had a purpose and again it's a pull for me i can't say enough about it and that's going to do it for this week's edition of what we're reading of course now we're going to fly into the national city as of course supergirl had her season finale this week and we're going to review it and break down the entire season come up next right here on down nerdy podcast
1: this is comics book writer jackson landon and you're listening to the down and nerdy podcast
0: we talked about how excited we were when Supergirl was finally coming to the small screen. And now we finally got a whole season in the books. So, Nick, before we give our ratings and what we thought of the entire season of Supergirl, let's go through the finale a little bit. And I got to tell you, there was a lot going on. And I got to tell you, even though I know we talked to Nan last week, Chris Vance, loved him. I, I, I'll I, be honest, man, I love me some Indigo.
2: Yeah, Indigo, yeah. And again, like, you know, we talked about how Indigo maybe had other plans and how she was kind of being Non's conscience you know, sh- God, was she very vindictive? <laughs> she just, you know, when Don's turning and saying, like, wait, what should we do or whatever? I failed. He's like, no, you didn't. You just didn't dream too big or whatever. And it's like, oh, my God. <laughs> right, and
0: remember, again, this is going to be a very spoiler-filled review because the finale's already happened. This is a review of the finale. If you haven't watched it yet, just heed that warning now. But I got to tell you, man, wh- and her answer to it is, you know what? Let's just...
2: Kill them all and move on. Oh, yeah. I mean, look. Yeah, it's like, it's like uh, yeah, there are other plants out there. Let's just destroy this one and go to those. It's kind of like saying, you know what? I don't like this apartment. Let's just destroy it and just go to another one down the street.
0: Yeah, that's Johnny Manziel's answer for everything.
2: Pretty much. she's <laughs> She is a jo- female version of Johnny Manziel. Except it's, she's
0: it's, got a much better head on her shoulders. Very she much. <laughs> she knows what she wants and she's going to try and go get it. But, man, and, you know, I got to be honest. I know that some people have been complaining about how they stopped Myriad. I actually think it's an interesting way to stop it, and here's why. Well, yeah. Because they actually used hope and motivation to stop this major threat. And here's something that I don't know if you picked up on this, because I'm a little bit more of a DC guy, of course, on the show. I think it's very interesting what DC and Warner Brothers has done here. It's almost like they've taken their cinematic Superman and their TV Supergirl and swapped the roles. Normally, Supergirl is the angry one, the irrational one, you know, doesn't really think before she does things kind of thing. And Superman is the hopeful one, the one that says, you know, we can stop this another right. way. There's always another way. And they've kind of changed places, but it worked definitely for Supergirl because how could you... Not- when Melissa Benoist tells you, I can do this, everything's going to be okay, how do you not go... Okay. <laughs> I know, right? Right there, like your heart just not melt and be like,
2: okay, everything's going to be all better. You know, I mean, you're still rocking in the corner because your head's pounding because of Myriad, but of still, it's, you know, that I want to talk about that scene. That scene where she's just giving that speech. Not going to lie, dude, that's a very emotional scene. I think one of the most emotional scenes we've seen this year on television because that's literally somebody pouring out to an entire city. Yeah. You know, you are not hopeless. You have hope. And, again, I love what they did with the, with the emblem with the House of L. You know, throughout the comics and a lot of the movies, we've seen, you know, what does the symbol mean? It means hope. Well, we got to see what it means in action. Right, and, exactly. And, you know, and there are these people who are like these mindless drones. What happens when you see Wynn remember stuff with Kara? You know, and we're seeing James Olsen. Remember stuff as well about his moments with Kara, and it's just it's just great, you know. And it's really really cool to see that, and just the power of of words. I think just the power of positivity as well. Because a lot of people are, you know. Here's the thing: some people who may have jumped off Supergirl the show in in a, in a sense in the beginning, they're saying, "Oh, it's too you know bright and everything else," and they're more with the Arrow universe. Want things to be more Arrow centric, you know, in terms of tone, and it's like. Man, this was a real good change of pace. And it felt really yeah. good. On a Monday, you know, even though there was danger, and I understand people's complaints at the beginning of how it was very much, I kind of agreed to in the beginning of the season. It was very much too, I'm a woman, I am strong. It's like, right. we get it. You know, you're, you're, you're eight episodes in. There's no need to, to bring it in anymore. But I like that, you know, they, they got, they, they toned it down a lot in terms of that and just showed her. They didn't just say, they, they didn't just have her beat her chest and say, I'm a woman, I can do this. It was, no. I'm Supergirl, I'm going to fucking do this, and I'm going to save the world now.
0: You know what they did, too, was they allowed her to, her to evolve over time. And they yes. gave her mental obstacles to overcome, not just physical ones, like when the whole thing went down when she was affected by the red kryptonite, and she had to gain the people's trust back. And then that came full circle in the finale, when after she garnered that trust, she kind of snaps everybody out of it, and the one time you want to get a mass text... And then, you know, <laughs> yeah. That's what kind of helps, you know, hammer the story home. So I like that they made her this beacon of hope that I think everybody wanted Superman to be. In Batman versus Superman, I like the way that they evolved this over time in Supergirl.
2: Exactly. Now the one couple complaints I do have, I'll, they both have, they both involve two people. Uh I want to talk about her sister real quick. Well, first of all, how many cosplays are going to see that suit now at cons.
0: Oh yeah, definitely. No question about it. There's oh, going to be I mean, a lot of cosplays.
2: Oh my god, yes. Because that Kryptonite suit was everything. But, yes. I mean, first of all, she's on the run with Jean, and you know, yet, when the army shows up at the, the DEO's base, she's not also handcuffed with him?
0: See, there was definitely a lot of gray area there, and I know that the DEO doesn't really police human threats. So it was more the army that was going after Alex than I think the DEO was, but you're right. When the art, when, when, uh, general lane shows up. Yeah. I understand why he doesn't, why don't they a- actually go after Alex as well? Maybe she was somehow absolved. You're right. They didn't really give you they a didn't concrete thing. Really yeah, they didn't really give you yeah. a
2: concrete thing. Cause people were saying, well, she was this? Well, no, cause remember she was on the bus with John when they were right. going to see her mom and she was wearing, the, she was in disguise. Well, they both were of course. And so it's like, they never really resolved the whole, how is she able to go out in 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 broad I mean, daylight and and or just you know? Granted, she's most of the time she spent at the base, but still, it's like you know she's at apartment. How is she able to? without any really resolve being seen to walk around national city, knowing that like just an episode ago, she was an enemy of the state pretty much.
0: I mean, maybe there's, it was the whole, we've got bigger problems kind of thing. And they just sort of let it go. And they were going to deal with it after the fact, but they didn't, they didn't outright address it. Like they did with John Jones. I will agree with that. Now, of course, remember at the end they kind of pardoned John Jones, right? But it didn't saying, pardon Alex, right? Exactly. So they just kind of—it's like they forgot about it, or just decided to let it go. Maybe we were supposed to fill—we, the viewer, were supposed to fill in that gap. But you're right; it would have taken two seconds to resolve that issue. And yeah, I'm a little surprised that they didn't kind of tie up the loose ends because they seem to tie almost every other loose end up.
2: Well, and here's another thing too: is is that uh, when the part where you know like they say, "Hey, myriad, if it reaches a certain frequency," People's heads are going to explode, so Supergirl doing the very Superman and House of L thing sacrifices herself pretty much by saying, I'm going to lift Fort Roz, which is you know f- broadcasting the waves into space. Now, of course, people are saying, well, that could kill you, everything else. But then again, you know it's Supergirl, so she can fly in space and she's powered right. by the sun. Um, so I think – the fact of the matter is, is that the scene with Alex flying into space to get her, I don't think made much sense because it's like, okay, so you're telling me that Alex opened the pod door in space and get Kara down there? Like, how'd she get her well, down I there? I think
0: she probably somehow flew up to her and got her on the on the actual craft itself, not inside the craft, because she could handle the atmospheric... But- I think a way
2: that a cool way that could have maybe ended it, ended it, or maybe something like, you know, or close to kind of tease was hers being stuck in space and just being like, you know, floating there.
0: That would have been an interesting way to end it. Um, I do like, I I do like that. They kind of stuck with the tonality of the show though, with how they ended, ended it on kind of a hopeful note with everybody together and everything. I think that's kind of how they wanted to round it out until of course the big kind of cliffhanger at the end.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, we'll, I, I want to get to that in a second, but really quickly, my other point was about uh, Martian Manhunter when he's seeing—he's just sitting there watching her lift the Fort Ross in space. It's like, dude, help her! I know you're hurt, but help her! Like, yeah, I kind of thought
0: he would jump in at some point and help her, but I guess you're maybe from
2: Mars. You can he was too hurt. Gas.
0: I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, it's not like it's like that one person that you come and help have you uh, move out of your house, and you know they're not really lifting the couch; they're just kind of there to balance it out. Right, right. I mean, yeah, just just at least pretend to help or make yourself feel better kind of thing. Although maybe, the, maybe there's imagery there that, you know, women could do things on their own too, and maybe they decided right. to go that route. I'm, I'm sure that that had part of it and absolutely should do a fantastic job of doing well, it. Well, again,
2: going to that, that cliffhanger at the end, you know, another pod pretty much crashes to National City. And, of course, ends with a opening and saying, oh, my God, and then cut the black. Now, I wonder at the end, if you're watching this, And if you've seen seven, I wonder how many people did the whole Brad Pitt, what's in the pot? (laughs) Hopefully it's more than just a head. But thing I like about this though, especially towards the end is, even though I talked about Martian Manhunter a few seconds ago, I love how, because he's got the part and everybody knows who he is, I love that he can go around being Martian Manhunter now.
0: Right. Now we can finally move forward with that. And now we're kind of seeing a real team Supergirl starting to form. And, are we going to get more of that with this pod? I mean, who who's going to be in the pod? I, and It's not necessarily going to be good. Let's remember no. that.
2: Could it? Be, uh, I don't know. Who do you think it could be if you had to take a guess? Because it's a Kryptonian, so it's a pod, so it's got to be somebody from Krypton.
0: I mean, I know that Superboy is not traditionally brought brought into the world in right. this way uh, because the whole Connell thing was more of an honorific from Superman than anything else when they did the new Superboy, and I know that... that of course, Golden Age Superboy was just Superman as a child. But think about it. This Warner Brothers and DC have, you know, taken a lot of liberties with their storytelling in this uh, Aeroverse, I guess you want to call it. And with Supergirl, they might just go a totally different route with a Superboy uh, indoctrination and bring in a Superboy of... Maybe it's another take on Power Girl as well. That's a possibility. That is a
2: possibility. So, I mean, it, again, and this is one of the things people were, I know people probably listen to this saying, oh, how you can you get on Walking Dead for how they ended theirs with a cliffhanger and not Supergirls? Well, because Supergirls didn't say for, like, months, we're introducing this character. So, and end it with a tease of that character. And it didn't know?
0: involve a death. It's much yeah. different when it involves a death.
2: But I will say this: it was very ballsy the way they ended it. Because remember, yeah. season two still hasn't been greenlit yet. So, I mean, I think it will. But I mean, right. but then you look at, but then you look at the ratings—only like. Around six point what one seven million people watched it, which is a dip.
0: That was a surprise. Actually. And it was and it was
2: the lowest rated uh, show in terms of viewing for Supergirl this season in terms of eighteen to forty nine year olds.
0: I mean, I know Gotham's been doing really well, and I know that it was NBA playoffs and stuff like that. But I mean, how much of that is intertwining with Supergirl? It'd be interesting to see what the ratings are like when the when the DVR totals right. added up and everything like that. But, I mean, even if it's a little bit of a bump, how much of a bump are you really going to get from that? So, I mean, there's reason to be concerned. And just going back for a second, I know that, you know, part of Power Girl is, is it's Earth 2, Kara zor Els. Don't get on my case about that. I know that already. Doesn't mean, again, that they won't try and do something different. Or sh- show up on error or Flash. Right. As Earth 2, Kara Zor-El. I mean, Melissa, Melissa Benoist might not be done this season. We don't know that for sure.
2: Right. And Well, here's another thing. Remember, they changed the entire look and, and even race of Power Girl recently in the comics. Right. So, so I mean, keep could that in they, mind. Could, they, could they be going with that as well, you know? There's a lot of
0: possibilities.
2: Alright, so I think that you know, uh, we've, we've given our reviews of the finale, so let's just give our ratings as a whole on the entire first season of Supergirl.
0: Alright, well, I mean, I think that if you look at the season as a whole, they actually did a pretty good job with their uh, episode, uh, episodic villains. I thought the crossover with her and uh, and The Flash worked really well. I think her and Grant Gustin made a great pair together. I hope we see a lot more of that in the future. And again, I like the way they let her evolve as a character. I love the way that they brought in Martian Manhunter. I think Shiloh Lee deserves a lot of credit as her sister. I think that she did a really great job throughout the season. And I also like that, you know, we always had that underlying threat of non and that, and the whole Myriad thing, but it wasn't always constantly there, and they really ramped it up towards the end to make that the main villain, and then involving Indigo, I thought they did really well with, and I just thought that this was like you said, you hit the nail right on the head earlier, this was a nice break. We have Arrow that's super dark, we have Flash that's not as dark, we can be very serious at times, and this one other than an episode or two, was the light-hearted one. This one was fun. This one just made you feel good when you were watching it, and all the characters did as well, so it's kind of hard for me to give a rating on it, because there were, you know, it wasn't a perfect show, but I thought they did a darn good job, especially for his first season, so I'm gonna go... Let me see. I think I'll go seven and a half lattes out of ten.
2: Oh, okay. So, I'll say this. I like. How they pull the fast one with Hank Henshaw, how we had David Harewood on weeks ago, months ago, said, oh, so when's Cyborg Superman coming? he gave us that laugh and we're like, OK, um, <laughs> you know, he's, remember he said, oh, episode, I think it was episode eight wherever, when we first get to see him, he's like, oh, he's you get a big reveal then. And what happens? We get Martian Manhunter instead. Yeah. And then he also did that little teaser.
0: He's like, "Oh, you know, I really hope I get a cool super suit at some point once they find out what the reveal is going to be." Yeah, I'd say it's pretty damn cool, David. I think you did a pretty good job with that.
2: Oh, exactly. I think that what's cool too is that you know uh, they they gave the characters purpose. They gave they built characters up. They they made them progress with each episode. Um, I love how they had you. They you know, Wynn was there. Yes, he was their IT guy, but he also had connections with the Toy Man, his right. Son, you know, and that's his father. And you know, and, and I think that they 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 did smart, very smartly. Was they tied, you know, webs to each of the characters? How each of the characters were certainly were in a point connected to one another, to a sense. Um, and you know, what they did with Silver Banshee was great, and everybody else in Livewire. It was really really awesome. Uh, the effects I felt were good. I liked the way that the stories progressed. Again, the Martian Manhunter thing was great. I really really hope something that we're both been guessing off air is. You know, Jeremiah is still alive, Jeremiah Danvers. Mm-hmm. You know, they switched the role of Hank Henshaw. Could Jeremiah Danvers somehow be Cyborg Superman?
0: I think that that's a very good possibility. And think about that. Dean Kane donning the suit again, but this time a little bit differently. And I think that would be... If you're gonna do a season two, and I think that they will, that would be the twist, make you go,
2: "Whoa, this is gonna be awesome!" But it would also like shatter our hearts and be like pieces. We're like, "Oh, right. that's like America's favorite man! Like, like you know, he's you know, what I'm saying, like the nicest guy in the world. Why?"
0: Right, and not to mention, think about how that's gonna rip that family apart. You finally find out that Dad's still alive, and now Dad's an evil cyborg Superman thanks to those pricks at Cadmus. Well,
2: Think about that for a second. Well, it, it, in a sense, though, is that better than, uh, you know, saying I'm leaving my family to date a stripper named Peaches? I don't know. That, that, I
0: don't know. That's a tough Who'd call. would you rather have? I mean, you well, know. That's
2: a tough call. You know, but I, I would be amazed if that's what they did if they get the second season. Again, hopefully they get the second season. But, again, I just want to say, you know, really quick, we haven't really talked about uh, a lot right now, but Chris Vance did an amazing job. He, really, not, did. he, really, he really, really did. He really did. That final, you know, encounter he had with Carr, you know, the whole heat vision stare down bad it was great just yeah. just amazing and just i'm not gonna lie seeing him hit her i was like dude that's your niece and he just yeah. knocked the shit out of
0: her that was kind of messed up i will say that <laughs> i mean that it was a hell of a battle man and when uh martian manhunter rips indigo in half oh my god that uh, was
2: amazing come on
0: see we can't even stop talking about the show
2: well, I, really? okay, so I, I
0: realized I haven't even given my rating yet. I yeah, because we kind of went off on a tangent because right. it's such a good show.
2: Uh, I'm going to give this 8 out of 10 pods that were knocked off course.
0: Ah, that sounds good. Sounds good. No entering the Phantom Zone for this show because hopefully it gets a second
2: season. I really hope so, man, because everybody on there is just so nice from who we've talked to. We've talked to most Noise, of course. Yeah, what's we, the problem here? You know, we, we, people saying, well, wait, you didn't talk to her on the air. No, we talked to her because uh, we were part of a, a media panel pretty much that cbs had a few months ago and it was really really awesome yeah,
0: and rights and stuff like that we could yeah stream that. i mean there's a lot behind the scenes that you guys don't need to know or care about but i mean she's
2: she's very nice and Let's... everybody
0: on the crew too i mean christberg and the gang oh, yeah. were, were awesome as well
2: exactly that's gonna do it for our view of season one of supergirl again we hope it gets a second season but come up next we have some nerd news and well, we had another reveal, I'll say, that kind of struck me in the childhood. What is it? Well, find out. Come up next on Down Podcast.
0: Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale.
1: You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can
0: put it on your cut.
3: And how he rose from
0: nothing
3: to become New York's King of the
0: Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Hi everyone, this is artist Nicholas Scott, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
2: Well, nerds, it's morphin' time as we travel around the interwebs and see what's trending because it's time for what, James? Nerd! Nerd! And, well, of course, as I said in the teaser, of course, before the segment, I said there was something from my childhood that kind of hit me pretty well, and, well, we got the first look at Rita Repulsa from the new Power Rangers reboot, of course, it's going to be hitting theaters, uh, I believe, in 2017 or 2018. I
0: think it's 2017, I think you're right.
2: But we got a good first look at her, man, and I'll say this, and as the... Power Ranger guys. Yeah, the floor
0: is yours, man. This is your your territory.
2: All right, so when I first saw that, you know, first of all, my phone and text inbox and my Facebook inbox was filled with people sending me the image over and over again. Yep, yep. To 20 people, you know, who were like, what do you guys, what do you think, what do you think? It's like, here's what I think about it. When I first saw it, I was very meh on it, and here's why. At first, I saw it, I said, wow. That looks very Enchantress, very Madame Hydra-esque look. And also if you play League of Legends, she looks like Zero from League of Legends. It's something. very close. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I'm like I'm like, it feels like they've kind of taken a little bit of the the Enchantress thing. Like like it felt too close to call, I felt. But then when I really thought about it, I said, well, wait a minute. She has the connection with the Green Ranger. She which means she has a connection with the Dragon Zord. So if you look at her closely, she's very, not want say scaly, but very pointy in what she's wearing. Like uh, you said,
0: it was dragon-esque.
2: Yeah, if you look at her face, like where her eyebrows are, they look very bony kind of a thing. So it looks like implants, and it looks, it does, it looks very dragon-esque. So my thing is, while it hasn't been announced and I, nobody has been cast for the role Are we going to get kind of like a Green Ranger Saga Power Rangers? Or are we going to get kind of like she takes the Dragonzord coin and uses the power to to do that? And You know what I'm saying?
0: Right. Maybe they're setting that up. Maybe the first movie is going to be a setup for a Green Ranger Saga and a possible sequel that could be coming out too. So, I mean, they could be playing the long game here, which, I mean, it's Power Rangers. That's not too much of a risk, I don't think.
2: No, and, and I think, and here's the thing: people saying, "Well, why couldn't they give her the?" I can't believe people are saying, "Why couldn't they give her like the classic look?" I'm like, "Well, the classic look was from the 1990s." Uh, you can't do that, man. They you
0: can't, you can't <laughs> do that,
2: and you know, I, I I didn't get really into an argument with somebody online. It was just on some some IGN post because they IGN posted, so I decided to comment on it and get my two cents on it. And somebody said, "I said, well, we haven't really seen the Rita. She's really been a, a, a big figure since the 90s." And somebody goes. Oh, what about like Psycho Range? Everything else, like two thousand six. I'm like, dude. No, I stopped. Now, granted, I stopped watching it around like Power Ranger Galaxy, but I'm like, dude, she wasn't really the main person. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, they brought like you get like she was the big bad when the whole thing started in the '90s, right? So I'm like, you know, (laughs) you gotta understand, it's 2016 the suit was due for an upgrade. I don't understand a lot of people are saying, like, well, why couldn't you give it the original colors, you know, the brown, the black, and they kind of make it like that, and, and, and make it more of that form that she has now in the reboot. I said, well, that's what I'm saying. And that's why I told people, I said, well, what if they're going the whole Green Ranger aspect? If they're doing that, and they haven't said it yet, it makes t- total perfect, sense. Yeah, and makes I, perfect I, and, sense. And when it comes to the look, I think Elizabeth Banks is going to be really, really good. And also, I'm not going to lie, to people who wish that they did the they kept like the classic look. Part of me wants to believe Elizabeth Banks went to, if you've seen Entourage, there's a part where Vinny Chase gets, you know, he gets a uh, cast to play Aquaman and They show him the suit, and it's very flamboyant. And he goes, Oh no. He's like, he's like, fuck that. I'm not signing on for Aquaman. And of course they changed the suit. Part of me thinks they had a classic look for her. And of course, her playing, you know, Effie from you know Hunger Games. I think she looked at that and said, no. <laughs> yeah,
0: maybe because she didn't want to look like a a grape gypsy. <laughs> I mean, much. come on. Just, you had to update it. And when I saw it, of course, I didn't grow up with Power Rangers, so it doesn't hit me like it kind of hit you. So when I first saw it, I'm like, this actually looks pretty cool, and it gives a little bit of an edge. And, yeah. and we know that she's going to be classic and over the top because that's kind of what she does. So I think we'll get the essence of Rita, but with a new kind of badass look. So I, th- I thought it was
2: pretty cool. Exactly. Speaking of, you know... Over the top and just when you talk about like acting his characters, Willem Dafoe I think has been a lot of his characters have been great. But I mean, you look at something like Boondock Saints, of course you know it's very. I think I think Boondock Saints role in that I think it was his best has been his best role oh, ever. Yeah. Uh. So of course you know J.K. Simmons jumps onto the Justice League as Commissioner Gordon. Well, it's been announced that yes, Willem Dafoe has been cast on the heroes' side. Injustice League, of course we don't know who he's gonna be and James we were kind of like tossing back and forth ideas of who he could be off the air and I'm not gonna lie we say that we scraped the bottom of the DC barrel we scraped the bottom of the DC barrel
0: I mean I know that a lot of people came right out and said oh he'd be marsh he could be Martian Manhunter I'm like
2: well Martian I Man- don't
0: I don't see that well well
2: no because Martian Manhunter is black too so you can't you well, know
0: and I, and I just don't even if even if they wanted to go a different route like that I I don't see it I'm sorry, I know some people see it and say he'd be great, and hey, I love Willem Dafoe, don't get me wrong, but no, he's not going to be Martian Manhunter. I mean, if you're going to look at it, and I was really thinking about this even more, even after we talked about it, and I remember that they're doing, uh, Metal Men was one of the movies that they, uh, but that they announced right. that they were possibly doing, so then I thought, well, what about Doc Magnus? Who was kind of the creator of the Metal Man. He's been a thorn in the Justice League side before, but he's also kind of played both sides. And if you want to get a guy that's going to play both sides and, you know, sometimes be with the heroes and sometimes not be a little bit later on down the line, Willem Dafoe's a good choice. And then, of course, they tease the new gods. So then you're talking about people like Mitron and stuff like that, that he could be. Who again? But again, if there's nobody that stands out. Mm-hmm. Is a legit hero, like, throughout. Well, that's, that's the thing it screams is... screams to me.
2: Well, that's the thing is that people are talking about, like, you know, we were talking off the air, like... Okay, Green Lantern. Could he be one of the Guardians? You know, we don't know. And right, and, and I mean, for all, for, I mean, we could be having this conversation. For all we know, he could just end like the mayor of like Metropolis or Gotham City. Yeah, or like, like Scoot
0: McNary and uh, Holly Hunter. Yeah, yeah, be, we we pontificated about them too. I was like, oh, she's a senator. Well, but that's you brought a up a great of point, time.
2: though. You brought up a great point, though. When they cast J.K. Simmons, it was announced who he was playing. Right. When they cast Willem Dafoe, it's not known who he's playing.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, why announce right away who J.K. Simmons is going to play and not Willem Dafoe? There's got to be a reason for that.
2: Right, and I mean, it's just like I said, the possibilities are endless. And listen, I understand people are saying, oh, he'd be a great joker. Why should he just be like an older joker? It's like, just, there's a certain thing I think people need to just let go. Yeah, (laughs) I I I get it, man. I get get it, it.
0: Okay, but you're right. They need to let it go. Here's the other thing that's funny. We gonna cast anybody else from the uh, Tobey Maguire Spider Man movies in, in Justice League? I mean, You're right. We've got Daf- we got Willem Dafoe. We got Green Goblin. We've got Jay Jonah Jameson. Anybody else? Anybody?
2: Right. You know, is James Franco's phone gonna ring or? I, seriously?
0: Else? Yeah. I mean, what's you know,
2: Al- is Alfred Molina gonna come out and play somebody? We don't know. Yeah.
0: What's going on here? Uh, Topher Grace? Well, maybe we we'll want to forget. Maybe
2: him. not Topher Grace.
0: <laughs>
2: but I mean. I- that's the thing is, like, you know, even when it's, when it's revealed who he is going to be, and this is why I think that it's – this is what I do kind of like about when studios do this, where they'll announce who a per- certain person is playing. Because I think they did it with J.K. Simmons because you look at J.K. and you're like, okay, he'd be a good fit as, as Commissioner Gordon. Like, he – like, you know good what I'm ass, saying? Yeah. I think I think he would – honestly, I'm not saying it's because we already know this and everybody else does, but I'm, I think they announced who J.K. Simmons was going to be playing because – he was. I think when you think of who he could be, people would immediately jump to, "Oh, he's Commissioner Gordon." Yeah, you know it just seemed like
0: an obvious choice. And I mean, it's it's definitely shaping up. It's a, it's a good cast so far. Oh yeah, it looks like. So I mean, the other thing that's gonna that's the only thing that's gonna really nail it home now is the story. So where where are they gonna go well, with the story? Well, again, it's, it's, who knows?
2: This is a scary thing because it's it's a Zack Snyder project too. So you're kind of like, oh Christ, you know? Yeah. I mean, you get an Oscar and J.K. Simmons, and you get a great actor in William Defoe, and then. As we saw in *Batman vs Superman*, at least for me, it wasn't all that great. It was actually pretty terrible. But I mean, you know, I I just look at who he could be and just possibilities, and I think it's it's gonna be fun. I really want a scene where him and J.K. Simmons are talking. Like, I really would love that.
0: That would be cool. But I mean, the other thing you think about too is all the guys that all the names you come up with. I mean, even if it's you know Doc Magnus or one of the New Gods, Mitron or something like that, and you think. That's who they're going to bring in the first Justice League movie. So it's you just look at those names and you go, that's that seems like that couldn't even be possible because why bring that character in now? So I mean it's it's a huge mystery still to me.
2: Oh yeah, I mean he could be playing Miracle Man. We don't know who he's going to be, but one thing we do know James we're sticking with DC, but we're going to go more towards comics here, especially with the imprint Vertigo. Now Vertigo has been around since 1993 and also somebody who's been around since Vertigo became a thing with Shelly Bond. Well, there's some be some shakeup over at DC Entertainment, especially at Vertigo. They're changing everything around, and Shelly Bond is no longer with Vertigo. So, James, being the DC Vertigo guy, the floor is yours.
0: And I get the, uh, the a little bit of outrage that's here because people love Shelly Bond, and she, she is talented. But I want you to think about this for a second. It's been a long time, and let's face it, she was part of some great titles. I mean, you're talking Sandman, I, Zombie, Fables, Preacher. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. We could throw Hellblazer in there as well, even though they kind of took that away from Vertigo. But in recent years, Image is dominating Vertigo. I mean, anybody who loves classic Vertigo comics, maybe that's a hard pill to swallow, but Image and even to a certain degree, Dark Horse are starting to put out better comics than Vertigo's been putting out. And that should be unacceptable. And sometimes... You've just got to hit the reset button. You've just got to say, you know, we just need a fresh perspective. So for anybody that's angry, for them not hanging on to Shelley Bond, why are you angry? Do you not want good comics? Because, we'll be totally honest here, From the, they tried as hard as they could. After Comic-Con, they announced all those new titles that were coming to Vertigo. The only ones that really caught my attention and I thought were actually good, Sheriff of Babylon and Dark and Bloody, which were both very good, so, and they weren't selling, even though they were good, they weren't really selling that well, so, not just from a business perspective, from a comic reader and a fan's perspective, why keep a person on that's not selling books, and that's not moving the imprint forward, so, yeah, she's done a great job over the years, but the thing that was supposed to save Vertigo, were the, they were going to do some Sandman spinoff titles, it's like, guys, you can only go that route so many times you can only spin off so many things before you have to look at your books and go, where's the future here? You can't just have a future in a spin-off of one series that you had success with back in the day. So I think that this will be a nice, fresh perspective. I don't know how much this has to do with the new young animal imprint that's going to be going on from Gerard Way. Maybe that had something to do factored in there. I don't think Vertigo is going anywhere, but I think the outrage over why she was let go and people were like, oh, she needs to go to Image now is totally ridiculous because, again, Image is doing pretty well without her. I don't know why they would just go ahead and jump in and bring her into the fold now. That would seem weird to me.
2: Well, here's the thing. you know, She took over, of course, for Karen Berger, uh, who was the Vertigo head at the time when she left. So in 2012, of course... You know, Bond, she became the executive editor of the Vertigo line. And like I said, she's been with Vertigo since 93. And it's just one of those things, man. You know, people need to realize this. Like in business, you know, we we own a business and stuff like that. So in business, especially in media, there comes a time where either you evolve with what's happening, and there's just some times where even if you're really good. You just can't keep up, you know what I'm saying? Like you, like you just lose something. Like you lose a step or whatever. Or you know, there's just something that happens to where, right? You know, like Image is is just is all create their own books and they're all taking off really, really well. And what have we had? What have we been told when we do our interviews with them and, and their artists and their writers? They always say Image is just such one of the funnest and best places to work for. So, you know, here's the thing: is like also could it be maybe you know, where Image is saying, okay, pitch us this if you, and more time we'll greenlight it because it, more time it's going to be good. Right. Was, it could have been, you know, maybe she was greenlighting the wrong books. We don't know, but the, again.
0: There were rumors, and granted, it's hard, rumors you take with a grain of salt, okay? Right. Rumors saying that she was being blocked by the publisher about certain things, yada, yada, yada. Okay, fine. I, you can't say whether that's true or not. It's not that Shelly Bond isn't talented, but no. maybe everybody just needed a fresh perspective. Maybe and she I, needed to go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And, you know, kind of re- restart her career and do something different for herself. But the publisher needs to do that as well. Because, again, you can't keep feeding off of these older titles and hope and hope that things are going to get better and hope that things are going to save it. You need, like you said about an image, you need that ne- next fresh idea. Right. And a bunch of them. To kind of kickstart the line, because Vertigo should be a lot bigger than it is right now. It should be getting killed. Well, and here's the thing
2: is that, notice, this is happening around the same time that DC's pretty much saying, you know what, we're having our own Vertigo cinematic universe. So this is happening around that same time. So, again, it's just, it's not, nothing against, you know, Bond, who who was great with Vertigo. It's just that there comes a time in media and in publishing and everything else where, as you said, people just need a fresh start and they need a fresh look on things. And, you know, by redoing Preacher and Sandman and all this other stuff, it's like, or, or doing spinoffs with them, it's like, you know, there's only, like you said, there's only so many webs you can weave from that before it comes all tangled up and you end up, you know, not liking it.
0: Yeah, and not all your books are going to be winners either. I mean, no. you're going to have some books that are and some that aren't, but, and, and some of these might not have been poorly written books, but again, if they're not selling, what's the deal? And people are getting mad at DC, like, oh, here we go, another DC reshuffling. Guys, she was with the company since
2: 1990. Yeah, it's been been the company for over 20 years. It's not
0: like she's been, and I think she was the editor for 19 of those years. Yeah. So, I mean, she had a fair shake, guys. Come on. And this is not me defending DC. I don't care who the publisher is. She's been there for that long.
2: mm -hmm. Like I said, she she was an editor for a long time, but then she became the the executive editor in 2012. So, you know, she's had a long run. So it's not like. They got her in there, and then, oops, it's a couple years later, and then it's like, it's, like, it's like the Cleveland Browns. It's not like they get a new yeah. head coach, and then, oh, a year or two later, coach is gone. No, this is like, you know, she's been with deep Vertigo with one team for so many years, but you know what? It's time to go. You know what I'm saying? It's, yeah. it's just not,
0: It was, it was just you know? time. It's time to move on, and maybe it more, maybe it works out. Maybe it doesn't. I don't know.
2: I don't know, but something that's working out, James, it's working out pretty interesting as well. Of course, Hasbro. You know they they came out a month or so ago and said, "You know what? We're doing this whole connected cinematic universe with GI Joe and you know everybody, all these other characters." And well, it's been announced today. Now I know. I, I want to say this too. We know that we were, we teased on a live video on you know on Thursday that we did that. Hey, we were going to talk about uh, something happening in programming, and some guy said something that really pissed off James and a lot of people who make video games. But this is just too big to ignore. Yeah, short and sweet. He's a douche. Next. Yeah, short and sweet. He's a douche. <laughs> um, and, but anyways, they announced the writers' room. Now I'm gonna list off some names here, and this is just amazing what they did. First off, got stuff with Brian K. Vaughn. of course. You know, Last Man Saga. He was a showrunner for uh, for Under the Dome. Mm-hmm. Uh, you of course had Nicole uh, Nicole Perlman, who's co writer of Guardians of the Galaxy and the upcoming Captain Marvel. Uh, you have Jack Pink- Jeff Pinkner from the comic adaptation of Stephen King's The Dark Tower. You have, of course, you have Cheo Coker, who is the showrunner of Marvel's Luke Cage Netflix series. And, of course, you have John Francis Daly and J- Jonathan Goldstein, who are the writing team who wrote the upcoming Spider-Man Homecoming and there's some other names as well. You got some people from the People versus O.J. Simpson. So you have a vast array. Yeah. It's not just comic stuff. I mean, most of it's comics, but you have people who have worked on other things. And I'm not gonna lie, man, this is I, this tells me that Hasbro looked at what they've had so far with Battleship and all that, how these other, how the movies haven't been so great. And they said, you know what? We're gonna get some great, great writers, and we're gonna have a nice sample, a nice collection of writers from different backgrounds and everything else. And we're going to get, I think, I think we're get a more serious Hasbro universe, I think.
0: Yeah, when the Hollywood Reporter list, put out the story and listed all these names, I'm like, they really got a nice, eclectic group for these projects. And I'm looking at some of the names, I'm like, okay, this one looks like it's going to be for Visionaries. This one looks like it's going to be for Micronauts. Right. This could go for Mask and G.I. Joe. And uh, Akiva Golds- Goldsman, who is also part of the Transformers writers room, has also been, has already been tapped for the G.I. Joe Micronauts crossover that's going to be coming up as well so there's just a ton of names on here and it just shows that they're really going to like you said they're taking it seriously this time and it looks like they're really giving a good faith effort to give us actually good movies with a little bit of depth so I know that maybe you're worried about too many cooks in the kitchen here because there's a lot of writers but again I think you're just going to grab it's like it's like you know in uh, an old school in gym class like go make teams so everybody will get in the room and right. Like, okay. Here's your visionaries team. Here's your mask team. This is a writers room for a gigantic universe. Well, for so example, it's not going to be too many in the kitchen. Oh yeah.
2: You know, you have Nicole Regal, who of course is the writer of the Blacklist script, and then you have Dogfight as well. Uh, something tells me that she might be doing uh, Mask or GI Joe. I think Could more be. GI Joe.
0: Could be. Definitely. I mean, it, it's just amazing to see that they got this many people yes. to work on this, and that are clearly excited to be a part of this project. and I mean, the first meetings at Paramount on Monday. Okay. So they're getting started now. They are really, they're really going to hit the ground running. So I'm excited, man. I mean, this is now we're getting into my childhood. Yeah. So when I see these brought to life, like the first time I see a mask movie, man, if you had told me when I was a kid that we were ever going to get a live action mask movie, I would have been so excited. I would (laughs) have dragged my mom to that theater so fast.
2: Yeah, yeah, I understand. I mean, for you, Mask for You is like, was like Power Rangers for me pretty much. Like, you know, you told me years ago, it would be a Power Rangers movie. Oh, my my little me would have been great. You know, I mean, granted, we did get one in the 90s, but still, it was just one of those things. Like, when I found, oh my God, they're making a Power Rangers movie, I made sure that, like, I remember I went to an arcade. It was called Sports Star 2000. And one of the prizes was the actual poster from the Power Rangers movie. Nice. And, uh, I, it was like, X amount of tickets, I forgot, it was years ago. But I got as many tickets as I could, I got the fucking Power Ranger poster. There
0: you go. And I mean, you kind of expect that there's going to be a G.I. Joe movie and a Transformers movie, stuff like that. So when I was younger, I kind of expected that that would happen eventually. Even when you're a kid, you kind of know.
2: Well, here's the thing, too, is with this writer's room, you know, you mentioned G.I. Joe, do you think they're going to reboot?
0: I think you have to, don't you? Yeah. I mean, say what you want about the G.I. Joe movies. Some people liked them, some people hated them. But... If you're going to do this and you're going to create a universe, you kind of need to start fresh. I'm not saying they need to recast totally, necessarily. They could probably keep some people if they wanted to. But start a nuke. Start fresh. And I, mean, I maybe, think they're going to
2: Yeah, I think they're going to start fresh. And that's going to do it for Nerd News. This week come next. An interview with the devil himself. That's right. Tom Ellis from Lucifer is going to be on to talk about the season finale. And, oh, wait, there's more. His brother, Amenadiel. That's right. D.B. Woodside. He's going to be on as well. Talk about the season finale. It's going to be airing this coming Monday, April twenty fifth. Stay tuned. DB Woodside and Tom Ellis from Lucifer are coming up next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
1: This is Joe Henderson, showrunner for Lucifer, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
0: What well, we asked ourselves when we were going to promote the finale for Lucifer coming up this Monday night on Fox. We thought, what would people desire? And I think what they would desire is to talk to Lucifer himself, Tom Ellis. Tom, how are you doing today?
1: Hey, guys. I'm doing very well, thank you. I'm in a very wet and gray London. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so first off, Tom, I just want to congrats to you and everyone else on season two. We're just excited to see what the season brings. So where were you when you received the word that the show got renewed for season two? I was in I was in my kitchen in London,
1: uh, and I think I was I was wiping the nose of my three-year-old daughter, uh, so I had a snotty tissue in one hand and a text message in the other. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you know what they say, you'll always know where you were, kind of thing. So I think that that's a pretty good image to sum up. <laughs> well, we've actually seen we've seen the devil portrayed portrayed many times in movies and in TV, but never really like this. So yeah. what was it like to balance the charming aspects of Lucifer with the intensity that we often saw throughout the season?
1: Well, I, I mean, I have to say, I mean, when, when we first started the show, um, the, the pilot, the, the original pilot script, or the original character of Lucifer in the pilot script, was, was, um, was so brilliantly realized by Tom Kapinos, um who was, you know, our first, our first writer. Um, and Tom um, famously, you know, did California and writes, Hank Moody esque characters really well, um, and you know there was there was a, there was a, there was something about the character that I immediately just loved. I basically you know the the, 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 the fun side of it was something that, that came um, quite easily, and then the intensity about the character came really from trying to break down who he truly was, you know, and why would he you know why was he the person he was, and and touching on you know. Things that, you know, I think a lot of people have never thought about in the the context of the devil and, and, you know, his father and all all the stories and everything. So, you know, to to the fact that this guy, you know, really resented his position and really was not that person before he got sent down to hell to do that job was quite an interesting sort of um, sparking point for a real sort of simmering rage. So, yeah, it's been... It's been I mean, it's, I've had so much fun playing this character. I'm not going to lie. it's—it's. It's, it's I've got to do so many different things, and I'm just very appreciative of it, really.
2: Oh, exactly. And, you know, Tom, throughout the season, Lucifer has had some run-ins with some not-so-good people. So who is and has been your favorite encounter so far this season and why? Well, from,
1: that, from an acting point of view, just from a kind of like, oh, my God, I'm working with, uh, we have Tom Sizemore in, actually, in episode five, who is... Uh, you know, he's a he's a he's a proper old school like you know um, East Coast actor. He's kind of you know he'll just do what he feels like doing in the take, and you'll really have to sort of stay on your toes and just sort of go with it basically. And that was that was just like a real experience to go with. It so was a, you know it was, was a top club. But we had some you know some really great guests. I had a really fun scene I had to do with a guy called Jim Rash that came in. Uh, where It was a guy that was about to throw himself off a ledge. And it was just a it was just a standalone scene on its own that just made me laugh a lot. But I, you know, so so many moments. I think my highlight of the whole series probably uh, was shooting the piano duel with Father Frank in the priest walks into a bar. Oh yeah, um, that was a good one. It was just so much fun. I've never had that much fun on a set before.
0: <laughs> it like- felt like I was in Top Gun. Yeah, it actually feels like you guys have a lot of fun. As a matter of fact, recently, not as much fun for Lucifer, because we've seen him have to question a lot of the relationships for the people that are closer to him, especially in the last episode before the finale, so talk about that change in him recently, and what his mental state is going into this final episode.
1: Well, he's kind of, he's at a real loss for the first time, and I think he's, you know, he's, the concept of friends for Lucifer is something that he'd never thought about before, And, and I think, you know, against his you know, he probably never admits it out loud, but he sees Chloe, uh, Detective Decker, as his only friend, as his only real ally. You know, he's still very suspicious about May, even though he seems to have let her back into the fold slightly. And, you know, he just feels like, you know, his father's against him, his brother's against him, the world against him, his one trusted ally has now arrested him. And uh, he's just in a real place. But the interesting thing about that is he's not any human being, he's still Lucifer he's still the devil, and what that sparks up in him, turtle this towards our season finale, which I'm very excited about
2: Oh, and we're, we're very, very excited about it as well and, you know, as we saw in the episode prior to the finale, the tension between Lucifer and deal pretty much it did reach his point. and outside of them being brothers, what do you make think makes both the relationship and rivalry different than what we've seen on TV so far? Well, I think, you
1: know, the fact that it's been flipped on its head, that, that you know, that Lucifer is the perceived evil, bad one and, and, and Menadiel is the perceived good one. Um, and actually, as the series has unfolded, if Menadiel has done all the deceitful, dirty things um, for his own, you know, for his own, for him, for selfish reasons, um, and Lucifer is the one that's sort of, you know, gone in the other direction from. Uh, From what we're led to believe he is. Stevie and I talked a lot when we first started about we didn't just want to make these like two sort of stoic characters who stood up against each other. We we wanted to believe that these are like brothers that like grew up together and, you know, the the fight that they had in the penthouse in the last episode is a bigger version of what they had in their bedroom when they were like, you know, five years old. And so that's, uh, we tried to sort of root it in some reality, even though it's got this whole sort of huge concept behind it. And you know, working with working with D is just a pleasure. He's such a he's such a top bloke.
0: Yeah, it's definitely great chemistry between the two of you. Actually, with you and a lot of the cast on the show. But right before the end of this week's episode, after we see Malcolm sneak away, we see Lucer essentially yeah. get framed for murder. So, without spoiling anything, what can viewers sort of expect going into this week's finale?
1: Lucifer starts at his wits in and had a huge revelation, and. Uh, there are a lot of people who've asked me throughout the whole series whether we'll actually ever see hell, and I can tell you that we do in the finale.
2: Fantastic! And so, I gotta ask you this, Tom. <laughs> that's easy to do, enough. Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
0: that's a good little nugget right there. <laughs> uh,
2: so, Tom, I had a, I had to, I have to ask you this question. I don't know if you, you probably get this a lot, but Lucifer, your, your one of your most famous questions through, in lines throughout the season is, you know, what is it that you desire? So, I just gotta know. Outside, of course, people tuning in to the season finale on April 25th, what is it that you, Tom, desire most? What is it I desire most?
1: <laughs> I desire that everyone's just really nice to each other.
0: That is, yeah, a, that's that's a, is a, the nicest answer. That is <laughs> it's a really
1: pathetic desire, but I really do. I feel like that eight-year-old kid who goes, why can't people just be nice to each other? Why is everyone? Why can't we have world peace? Why is everyone so greedy and horrible and just thinks that they're right? And, oh. So I, I, just, I desire that everyone
0: just sorts it out. So do you hear that, everybody? Lucifer wants everybody to be nice to each other. So we need to start doing that <laughs> immediately. And as a matter of fact, we also need to watch the season finale of Lucifer, which is going to be airing this Monday, April the 25th, at 9 p.m. Eastern Time on Fox. If you're not on the East Coast, make sure you're checking your local listings. So, ha- so glad to just grab a few minutes with Tom Ellis, who did an amazing job as Lucifer this season. Yes, we John. can't wait for season two. Thank you, guys. Really great to talk. Well, we told you this week we are going to have an angel and a devil on our shoulders. So we've already talked to Tom Ellis, so let's talk to D.B. Woodside. D.B., how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic, man. How are you doing? Doing awesome. As a matter of fact, as the season's progressed, D.B., how is your viewing of Amenadiel and Lucifer's relationship as it's evolved across the season?
3: I think the relationship is getting more complicated, right? <laughs>
0: oh, definitely.
3: Um, yeah, you know... Uh, I think Amenadiel's been trying, uh, you know, starts out at the beginning of the season, uh, trying to persuade his brother, uh, you know, maybe even at times push his brother in, in going back to hell. Um, but none of these ways have worked. And I think, uh, you know, it's it's probably good for people to keep in mind that since Lucifer hasn't been down in hell, that it's been Amenadiel, uh that's, that's had to replace him. So I think, uh, you know, if you're thinking about this, this, warrior angel, this angel that's that's only used to, you know, battle and and heaven, that uh, hell is not really his cup of tea. So I think it's starting to, you know, work on his psyche, maybe grind it down a bit. And it's making him do some things that uh, I think are going to wind up or will have wound up uh, having unintended consequences.
0: Definitely. As a matter of fact, we spoke to your on-screen brother, Tom Ellis, earlier, and he said that Amenadiel was actually the brother who'd done the most sinister acts during this season so how much would you agree with that
3: well i mean <laughs> <laughs> um, i i I would agree with that i mean this this season he he has you know but i think from amenodeo's point of view you know uh this is this is dangerous you know you can't have the the king of hell the 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 ruler of hell Kind of hanging out, uh, enjoying his life in in Los Angeles, uh, disturbing the the natural order. I think Amendil is just basically doing what what their father has asked him to do. Um, now, as I stated earlier, I I think replacing him and and having to exist on this earthly plane has started to to do some things to uh, Amendil that he's definitely definitely not used to. You know, not at all.
2: So late in the season, we see Amanda Deal and May is getting pretty close to one another in more ways than one. So what's it like being able to take someone who is literally an angelic figure and give him a little taste of sin?
3: I think it's been great, man. It's been it's been a lot of fun. I mean, you know, one of the things that 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 I love about this character, right, is he's so battle tested. And, you know, uh, this is a guy that's that that's been, uh, you know, fighting for God in battles in in wars uh, for thousands of years and yet he's never been in love he's never kissed a woman he's never held a woman's hand so there's something so spectacular about this this warrior uh that really gets conquered by love and and love from a demon uh no less i mean it's something pretty different and and exciting and of course you know i mean it doesn't hurt that i get to uh you know uh, act with One of my good friends, Leslie Ann, who's always fun and uh, crazy. So we have a really good time together.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah. We had her on early in the season. She was really, really fun to talk to. Yeah, she's
0: fantastic.
3: Yeah, she is. And she's absolutely crazy.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll have to take your word for it on that one. We're talking
0: to D.B. Woodside, of course, the Lucifer season finale. Going to be coming up Monday, April the 25th at 9 p.m. Eastern on Fox. Now, D.B., when Malcolm was brought back from the dead, it was for a purpose. But that definitely seemed to kind of backfire. So how much of the anger that we've seen from Amenadale in these recent episodes, especially recently, do you think kind of stems from regret?
3: I don't think that he regrets anything. Uh, right? That, that I don't think that he's regretted doing anything that he's done until the end of the last episode. I think that's when it's hitting him. Uh, when, when Maze comes in and basically stops that fight, I think in that moment is when he's starting to process all the things that he's done just to get his brother back to hell. And I think, well, I know that we're definitely going to see that play out right at the top in the season finale. Um, We will see that, that all of, all of what he has done has finally spilled over and it's, it's, it's definitely softened his, his heart, but strangely enough, I think it all comes from not his brother, not Lucifer. I think the change uh, that 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 has begun in him is because of the love that he now feels remains. So there's something about that twist that I love i I didn't see that one coming, but it's but it's actually that the fact that that he's been changing and and fallen in love that has finally uh, i think pushed him over to the point where he realizes, wow, I've really gone above and beyond.
2: Oh, exactly. You know, so, DB, earlier I asked Tom what was what was it he most desired. I want to ask you something a little bit different given that the character that you play. If you could perform one miracle, what would it be and why?
3: Wow, one miracle. One miracle. Well, if I could perform one miracle, I, I think it would probably be something having to do with, with climate change. It gets hard to, uh, you know, I'm a parent, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and I have a daughter who's, who's who's six and a half. And I can remember uh, being able to um, run around and enjoy, you know, little things like snow. And I look at the way that that what, you know, what's happening now. And there's just something very, very sad about it. And it worries me that there's not going to be much of a planet left by the time that she's having children, you know. Um, yeah. So there's something absolutely scary about that. So. Not to bring it down or make it super serious, but yeah, it was the, my, my miracle would definitely have something to do with climate change.
0: Hey man, totally get it. I think that's a good answer, as a matter of fact. Now, we're going to kind of try and tread into dangerous waters here, but follow me on this one. There's a big bombshell right. that gets dropped at the end of the finale coming up. I know you can't reveal what it is, but how much do you think this is going to ramp up the fans' excitement for your upcoming second season?
3: I think they are going to go berserk. I, I think they are literally literally going to be waiting all summer to see how we actually do that. The last scene, the last line of the episode sends us off in a direction that is going to make people really eager to uh, come back for season two. And it also gives us um, a, a great focus and I feel like everyone is really excited about it. So I'm looking forward to it. I know Tom is looking forward to it, uh, and I think the fans are too.
2: Well, DB, I just want to say that it's been a spectacular season one. I can't wait for season two. And everybody, you have to check out the season finale of Lucifer on Fox. Of course, it airs this coming Monday, April 25th at 9 p.m. Eastern time on Fox. DB Woodside, thank you for coming on, man, talking about Lucifer and everything happening in season one.
3: Thank you so much, man.
0: Man, when we wanted to get ready for the finale for Lucifer that's going to be coming out this Monday, April the 25th, 9 p.m. Eastern Time on Fox. We wanted to get some great guests for our listeners and to get the brothers, Tom Mellis and D.B. Woodside together. I, I, I can't I can't believe all the stuff that they were able to give us
2: well, you want to just talk about getting out the big guns for the season finale. I mean, you can't get bigger than the two main characters on Lucifer, you know? But, I mean, you know, it was fun talking to DB and just everything he talked about and his answers of how the relationship between Amanda and Lucifer and how Tom kind of, you know, was a little bit different in his answers. I love that, you know? Because, again, on screen, of course, one's a devil and one's an angel. But in reality, you know, it's nice getting, you know, two separate opinions, even if you ask certain questions, because it's just really cool to see a kind of different worldview, you know?
0: Yeah, and when I asked him about what Tom said about uh, a deal being the more kind of sinister one, he's like, man, I don't know about that.
2: So. <laughs> it it kind of like, if, you know, you, you just looked at us and be like, you do know he is the devil, correct? Yeah, <laughs> uh, exactly. <laughs> well, I did say that we
0: had an angel and a devil on our shoulder this week talking about Lucifer on Fox. So, But man, seriously, it's been a fantastic first season. It really has. And we're going to be reviewing it, of course, next week on the show. We'll recap the entire season finale of Lucifer. But I, we can tell you this right now. What happens at the end of this episode? Oh, yes. You will be talking about He's not kidding. You're going to be talking about this throughout the entire summer.
2: Exactly. Like when you see this, you're going to be like, oh my God, I want season two. Because the way that they end it, it's just, I mean, you want to talk about leaving fans just wanting more. And especially if you read Lucifer, that you can just leave the fans wanting more by the way they did it. A congr- uh, just a congrats all around to everybody on the show. Joe Henderson, Leslie and Brandt, Tom Ellis, D.B. Woodside, everybody over at Fox, all the writers spectacular season one, but that's going to do it for this week's edition of the Dominary podcast. Again, thanks to Tom Ellis and DB Woodside from Fox's Lucifer. Don't forget the season finale of Lucifer is going to air on Fox this coming Monday, April 25th at 9 PM Eastern. So be sure to watch that. As well, and don't forget May seventh, we're going to be doing a live stream broadcast with Fantasy Escape Comics and Cards on Aragon Boulevard on May seventh, Free Comic Book Day. We're going to be streaming that on our Facebook page, so be sure to watch us on Facebook because we're going to have a lot of fun doing that uh, on May seventh. Also, May twenty first, twenty second, we're going to be at Taiwan Comic Con, and yes, we will be live streaming from there as well. We're going to be talking to people from the con, all you know, people who are going walking through all the great guests they have coming up. It's going to be a really, really fun time, James. And don't forget, we're also on Facebook, facebook.com slash downnerdy. We're also on Twitter at downnerdy757. I'm at Merkle with our Mr. Witham. Go.
0: I'm at James Ace Witham. That's W-I-T-H-A-M. Don't forget, Instagram as well at Down Nerdy 757 You want to get all this information on me? It's all in one place downandnerdypodcast.com. You can find us on Google Play. We're on Google Play now. There's a link up there that you can access to that. They're still working on the mobile stuff for Google Play, though, so if you can't get it on your phone, you can definitely get it on your PC or on your Mac for Google Play. Also, you can find out what other comics were reviewed on our website. We've got more reviews than the ones you just heard on the show, so go there and find our reviews, what's going on in this week's show. You want to purchase the first season of Lucifer on Amazon Instant. We've got a link for you right there, all at downandnerdypodcast.com.
2: And with that, I leave you with the words I leave you with every week, nerds. Press, save comic greeting, always bag and board your comics.
0: Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues.